Hi, welcome to another episode of It Came From A Crew... Wait, wait, no, wrong show. Um, another episode of What The Sh... No, not a different show, too. Uh, oh, yeah, welcome to another episode of it, The Attack of the B-Movies podcast. So, um, trying to get more of these done, um, because it's nice to be back and nice to have listeners, and I saw on the stats you guys are tuning in, and I appreciate it. Uh, it's not always easy to get them done. I have, you know, a baby now and all kinds of other stuff, and I don't want to sound like I'm making excuses, but I'm making excuses. So, anyways, tonight's episode is about a, cl- a sci-fi space opera epic from the late 70s. Now, many of you might be thinking, oh, Star Wars? Well, no, Star Wars wouldn't be on this show, right? I mean, granted, I do some movies that really aren't B-movies, especially when it comes to horror or weren't B-movies at the time. But no, not Star Wars. Then some of you might be thinking, oh, you're doing Disney's The Black Hole. Uh, again, no, great. I, I really liked the movie a lot, but... um. I don't consider it... Well, not that I don't consider it a B-movie, it's just I haven't thought about doing it on the show yet. Um, maybe if you're a different time. Sorry for all the ums. I figured I'll follow the David Letterman uh, way of talking. So, now you must, be, you must be wondering, what film could he be talking about? Well, I'm talking about the 1978 film Star Crash. A film directed by and written by Luigi Cozy. Luigi Cosi was, uh, oh, let's see, he was an Italian director and writer known for Hercules in 1983, uh, Star Crash, really, I mean, lots of Italian movies, and it's funny because Star Crash is considered an American, um, an American production, but it was filmed in, I want to say Italy, and it really, uh, It wasn't filmed in English, most of it. So most of the actors and actresses had to uh, have voices dubbed for them. Mainly because of cost cutting. I'll get to that in a, in a few. Anyways, uh, it came out. It's a 1978 movie. Um, let's see. It stars Marjo Gortner, who uh, was maybe known for... Jeez, uh, I don't even know. American Ninja 3? He was in Falcon Crest, T.J. Hooker, uh, an episode of Airwolf, uh, the eight episode of the A Team, Fantasy Island. I mean, nothing that seems to really be you know anything. Uh, Medical Center, anyone? No. Earthquake, no. Anyway, so that so he's he's in it, and then we have Caroline Monroe. Now Caroline Monroe. Anyone who listens to this podcast or has read any of the blogs I wrote, which I haven't written in a long time, knows Carolyn Monroe. Carolyn Monroe, honestly, at the time, was gorgeous. She really, I mean, everything she was in, she was gorgeous. But she's really known for The Spy Who Loved Me. I don't remember the story about it. It's on the website. She took that job over some other uh, some other work. Or actually, I think she took Star Crash over something. One of the two. And, and she ended up really just kind of becoming a scream queen for a long time after Spy Who Loved Me. But she was gorgeous. And in this movie, the whole first half of the movie, she's literally in, like, a bikini swimsuit. Or a very revealing swimsuit, anyway. And I don't understand why, but I guess, apparently, um, women, if I have any women listeners, please write in and let me know. Is it easier to pilot a spaceship in a revealing swimsuit? I'm not sure. But other things she's been in, like I said, some of you, I'm sure some of you know the name. But, I mean, she started acting in 1966. She's uh, She was in 
Dracula AD 1972, Golden Voyage of Sinbad. That one's been on um, Mystery Science Theater 3000 plenty of times. She was in The Spy Who Loved Me, uh, At the Earth's Core, The New Avengers TV series. That was The New Avengers was from 77. Uh, she was um, a journalist in Adam Ant's Goody Two Shoots video. She was in, now Now I'm getting to what my fans might remember, Slaughter High, Slaughter High Cinderella. No, wait, skip that one. Uh, Slaughter High, let's see, Demon 6, Flesh for the Beast, Highway to Hell. I mean, she, she did some acting throughout her career. She's acted throughout her career. Uh, her last, she's got something coming out in 2018 where she plays uh, a baroness named Bartov. It's called House of the Gorgon. So she really did carve out a niche in, uh, in B-movies after this one. And then... The third person, and let me correct that, not the third person, because there is a bigger star than this in this movie, but the next biggest star would be David Hasselhoff. Yep, you heard it right, the Hoff, known for Knight Rider and Baywatch, um, and apparently, uh, yeah, well, Sharknado 4, I want to say. Uh, do I need to say anything else? I mean, really, I mean, he's in The Young and the Restless for a long time. He was... Uh, like I said, Baywatch, Baywatch Nights, um, just tons of stuff, you know. And he was in Star Crash, he played Prince Simon, where Caroline, I didn't tell you what, who Caroline played. Caroline played, um, where'd it go? I forgot her name. Oh, Stella Star, duh. She plays the star of the movie, Stella Star. And uh, so, let's see, the, the next biggest star in this movie... And brace yourselves, guys, because it's going to be a bumpy ride. The next biggest star is one Christopher Plummer, who plays the Emperor of the Galaxy. Now, a little bit of trivia on this one is that Christopher Plummer filmed most of his ro roles, I want to say, in a day, right? Which was probably pretty good because he was getting paid $10,000 per day in 1977-ish when they were filming it. Which seems to be, you know, a pretty good amount of... Uh, pretty good amount of bucks. And he's not in the movie that much. Like I said, he filmed it over a day or two. Uh, David ha Another bit of trivia on this one. David Hasselhoff got food poisoning during the shot, the, the shooting. So production assistant in a mask filmed in, or filled in for a significant number of Hasselhoff scenes. Interestingly enough, though, Hasselhoff did most of his own stunts. Uh, the first day he did it, he knocked out uh, an Italian stuntman's tooth. So, he had that going for him. Let's see, uh... So I mentioned how the film was not... It was it was in a different language originally. I believe it was in Italian. I, I Almost positive. I saw the dubbed version, so I don't remember. Um, in the U.S. version, Carolyn Monroe's voice had to be dubbed by Candy Clark. And she was married to Gortner at the time. Uh, the only ones that did not have their voices dubbed by other people are Marjo Gortner... David Hasselhoff, Christopher Plummer, and Joe, uh, the actor Joe Spinell, who's also in the movie. I guess everyone else had to be dubbed by different people because the budget was so tight after post-production, they didn't have any money to fly in Caroline Monroe and the other character, or the other actors and actresses due to their own voices. Uh, let's see. There's a... There was something... Oh, Caroline Monroe did most of her own stunts also. Little, uh... Little tidbit of information there. Uh, Carolyn Monroe actually was pretty popular. I mean, the movie I don't think did well. 
I mean, it's pretty bad. It came out a year... It's like somebody saw... They saw... Basically, someone saw Star Wars and told Cozy to write and make a movie. So he never even saw Star Wars. He just looked at the book, and uh, he had a book of it, and he read the book, and off he went. But I wanted to say that Carolyn Monroe also uh, was supposed to be named... Oh, Carolyn Monroe in an interview later on had stated that her mother originally was planning on naming her Stella Star. I don't know how true that really is, right? Because either there's one hell of a coincidence, or she told the directors this, or they didn't have a name, and she suggested it. That I've never been able to find out. I don't have any Hollywood connections either, so you figure. Anyways, on to the actual movie now that we've wasted enough time. So, I told you about the cast. It was edited by, uh, I don't know. So the release date was uh, 1979, March 7th in Los Angeles. Ran for 94 minutes. Uh, had a budget of $4 million. I think it only made $400,000. So the movie starts off, and there's a starship searching for an evil Count Zarth Arn, which is played by Joe Spinell. They start move, They start closing in on a planet, and the ship gets attacked by some weapon that drives the crew insane. So there are three escape pods that get launched during the attack. The ship crashes into the atmosphere. It's destroyed. So, we find out, now we, now we cut over to um, two smugglers, Stella Starr, which is played by Carolyn Monroe, and her sidekick, Acton, who is played by Gordoner. Now, Acton is like, the voice they gave him, uh, or not, no, not Gordoner, no, not Acton, I'm sorry, I'm ahead of myself. Anyways, so, they end up bumping into the uh, Imperial Space Police. And the space police is led by a robot named uh, L. And funny thing about L is he sounds like a West, like a stereotypical. When they overdubbed his voice, oh my God, it's like he sounds like a cowboy from the old West. It's horrible. It's just bad. And uh, the police chief uh, Thor. So Acton and Stella escape by jumping into hyperspace. So they think they get away. When they emerge, they discover the an escape pod from the attacked ship. And uh. They board. Well, they they rescue the escape pod and they find one survivor. So they're trying to escape with the survivor, and they the police find him again. They get arrested by Thor and uh, L. I guess they followed their like hyperspace signature or something, right? So they get tried and convicted of piracy, and they're sentenced to life in prison, and they're sent, sentenced to separate planets. So this whole time, Stella's wearing basically a scant. She's scantily clad most of this time. Uh, she escapes from prison. And she gets re recaptured. So as she's getting recaptured and she's getting read the riot act biddies too, she uh, they get informed that the authorities have canceled her sentence, and they don't know why. They don't know what's going on, and they're a little pissed, right? Because they've been trying to catch her for so long. They take her to another ship, and she gets reunited with her friend Acton. So on this ship, they get contacted by the Emperor of the Galaxy, Plummer, Christopher Plummer, who. Thanks them for rescuing the the survivor. And then he says that uh, there's currently a, a feud between him and Count Zartharn. Uh, apparently Zartharn has some secret weapon on a planet. <laughs> it doesn't sound like a Death Star at all, does it? Uh, somewhere. So the Emperor wants this to be uh, basically taken care of, right? So he hires Stella and Acton to find the weapon. And they're offered clemency if they help find... Oh, they're off for clemency if they find the other two missing pods as well. As uh, as well as what's left of the mothership. 
because they were, he says that his only son was in one of the pods or on the mothership. He's not sure which. So they need to set off and do this. And they're told they have to take Thorin L. Or Ellie. It's E-L-L-E. So I think it's just Ellie pronounces it. So um, they accompany him and they set off on their, their journey. So they get to the location where the first pod is. Stella and Elle take a shuttle from uh, from their ship. They land near the pod, and it's a sandy beach. It typically looks like what you'd expect like from a Doctor Who episode in a quarry, to be honest, but whatever. Uh, they don't find any survivors, and Stella meets uh, an Amazonian, basically an Amazonian warrior tribe, and gets escorted to their fortress, which is underground. And uh, in the meantime, when they get there, Elle gets ambushed, shot, and left for dead. Stella gets taken capture, taken captive, and then uh, when she's brought between before the Amazon Queen, we find out that the Amazon Queen is in bed. <laughs> well, I don't really know if they're sleeping together in bed, but they're there. She's in bed with Zarthan. So we find out that L actually did not die. He makes his way to the throne room, and he takes uh, the Queen hostage to secure or to and demand Stella's release. So the um, now it gets corny. As if it's not corny up to now. So, um... So, Ellen and uh, Stella take off, and they are... They're, you know, they're on their... They're, on the, they're trying to escape, and the queen mentally activates a giant female robot. Yeah, you heard that correctly. A giant female robot. Uh, the robot chases them, and they end up getting rescued by Acton and Thor, and that's the end of it. The robot can't, you know, chase them anymore. So... They're like, okay, well, that was that was that did no good. So they go and they go to the they find a second location, which happens to be on a snow covered frozen planet, not unlike Hoth. Although Empire hadn't come out yet, so they they were ahead of the curve on that one. Maybe Lucas stole it from them, and that's where the mothership supposedly crashed. So they go down, and of course, just like the first time, there's no survivors. Um, they go back to their ship. And when they get back to the ship, they find out that Thor has knocked out Acton, and apparently Thor is working for Zartharn also. And he's shortly going to join him and become the Prince of Darkness for uh, Zartharn. So Thor locks Stella and El outside on the planet's surface, and again, she's not really dressed for it. You know, and really neither of them are dressed for it, because who expected to be locked out on a planet, right? So they, um... So they're locked outside on the planet, and supposedly the planet temperature drops thousands of degrees at night, and uh, El is able to preserve Stella's life by using what's left of his energy to keep her heart going while they freeze over in the snow. So it's a touching scene, and uh, <laughs> meanwhile, on the ship, we find that Acton is not dead. He was just knocked out. He revives himself, and he fights Thor and kills Thor. Then he opens the hatch and lets Ella or Ellen Stella back in. So now they're short one member. Luckily, it was only the traitor. And they decide, okay, let's head out for the third to find the third escape pod location. So on the way there, they get attacked, and it's the same weapon we see at the beginning of the of the film, right? That we that weapon that makes everyone go nuts. Acton finds a way to steer it through, or steer through the uh, the attack. And they find the pod. So Stella, Stella and Elle inspect the pod. They find the wreckage. And, of course, they're attacked. Because why wouldn't they? 
They're attacked by primitive cavemen who smash L to pieces. So now the robot L is the robot sheriff rather is done. He's done for there. And uh, they um, they kidnapped Stella because it's the seventies and apparently that's what happens. Everyone gets kidnapped all the time or abducted, depending. I guess she's not really a kid, right? So while they're trying to kidnap her, this uh, man in the golden mask comes flying in. And he's shooting lasers out of his eyes, and he rescues her. And we find out that he's the Emperor's son, Prince Simon, who is played by none other than the Hoff. So, uh... He rescues her, only for them to be attacked by these cavemen again, and get overpowered, and... Somehow, Acton appears. Who was destroyed, right? Or no, was it Acton? No, L was destroyed. Acton appears and fights... This movie is confusing as shit. Acton appears and fights him off with a laser sword. Laser sword. It looks like a. It looks like a Walmart. It looks like a. It looks like a poor man's version of a lightsaber. It clearly is meant to be a lightsaber. So uh, he um, he jumps in. He fights them off. The primitives off with the sword, and then um, he tells the prince and Stella, "We are standing on the Count's planet that's been weaponized." Weaponized planet. Not real original at this point. In fact, Star Wars has done it three times. I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I really hope they don't do it again. So they find their way to an underground lab at the planet, and they get ca- and get captured again. So they're captured. The Count's there to count, and as in most 60s and 70s films, lays out the entire plan to them and uses them as bait to um, lure the Emperor to this planet. And his plan is he's going to have the Emperor come to the planet, and then he's going to self-destruct the weapon, destroying the planet, the Emperor, and those three. So the Emperor will die, his son will die, leaving a power vacuum for Zartharn to take over. So, and as usual, the Emperor then tells them the entire plan and leaves. And he tells his robots to keep, the, keep them there and keep an eye on them. So... Acton, again, jumps into action because somehow they didn't think about taking his laser sword away. And he uh, he fights the two robots and he basically fights them to the death. He gets mo- mortally wounded and then just disappears, a la Obi-Wan Kenobi. So, as he fades away, the Emperor arrives at the planet and I'm going to leave off there. So... This is clearly a, a cash grab, right? Kind of thing. It's clearly a, hey, Star Wars did well. I want to make a space opera movie. Let's do it. So, uh, well, that's what I think. In an interview with Variety, Luigi Cozy, the director, he said that Star Crash is science fantasy, not science fiction. He also said that um, while people like myself believe Star Crash was an attempt to capitalize on the popularity of Star Wars... He claims that the way the picture was designed and how the script were written, that it was developed before the release of Star Wars. And, uh... I don't buy it. I really don't. It was it, Principal photography was in Rome, like I said, in Italy. They shot in Morocco and Tunisia, and they did shoot in Hollywood a little bit. <laughs> uh, when asked why Plummer was in the film, Plummer said of... Plummer pretty much replied with, Give me Rome any day. I'll do a porno in Rome as long as I can go get to Rome. Getting to Rome was the greatest thing that happened in that for me. I think it was the only 
I think it was only about three days in Rome on that one. It was all shot at once. And then they asked him about playing the Emperor, and he said, how can you play the Emperor of the Universe? What a wonderful part to play. It puts God in a very dicey moment, doesn't it? He's very insecure, God, when the Emperor's around. So, I don't know. I, I think, I, I don't see that this was written prior to to Star Wars. It doesn't make any sense to me. I, I can't see how they would have had the exact same idea. Or well, not exact same, but pretty damn close. Um, it's worth a watch. It, it, it's kind of become a cult classic, really. Uh, I mean, it has a rather weak screenplay. It, it, it is. It does get a little confusing and a little convoluted. And it, it's funny because it, it really, for being a bad movie that took, I think, just under two years to make, it it's not really... It's great to watch after having a couple of drinks with your buddies... I don't know. It's one of those movies that's so so bad it's good, I guess, really. And, and it's it's interesting to see, like, Hasselhoff, right? Or um, Christopher Plummer in it, you know? So, I, I would say that it's a movie I would recommend watching. It definitely only gets, like, two and a half out of out of five stars on, on the scale here. But I think, yeah, I think you should give it a watch. Like I said, just to, just to see a young Hasselhoff pre-Night Rider and a relatively young Christopher Plummer, really. I mean, you know, we're used to seeing him, you know, in the 90s, and he was a lot older then. So, anyways, Matt, thanks for tuning in. That's this week's episode of, I almost said the wrong podcast again, but I did that jokingly earlier. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for joining me on this week's episode of the Attack of the Bee Movies podcast. Uh, sound quality is probably a little different, probably not quite as good as before. I bought a different microphone, one... It's hard for me to set up a bunch of mixing equipment when I just have me doing a show as opposed to when I do other shows with other people. So I just picked up a USB mic to make this easier so I can actually do more episodes because that's another thing. I, you know, knowing I have to set everything up really, it makes it a lot harder. This way it's nice and easy, and I think the sound quality is probably pretty solid. Anyways, thanks for listening, and I will be back next week with another one.